Welcome everyone to another episode of The Hobby. I am thrilled today to be able to have a conversation with my friend Jeff Lubinsky. Um, Jeff is one of the preeminent experts in the world of numismatics, coins and, and uh, paper money. And I'm, I'm interested to learn the lingo and learn a lot of things from Jeff. Uh, Jeff has done over 5 billion B billion with a B uh, in transactions here over the last decade in the world of coins and, and numismatics. Jeff, uh, how are you doing today? Doing well, Adam. Thanks for uh, having me on. Dude, I'm, I'm excited to learn about this world. Um, I used to collect coins. You know, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, um, but I know that this world has changed quite a lot. So as we, as we begin, the thing that I really want to ask you about, I know that a lot of collectibles have seen this huge change over the last decade. You know, you look at cards, for example, cards have seen the proliferation of grading, vaulting, the world of auction houses really taking over. This world's changed for collectibles. And my guess is that, that coins have, have changed too. Can you start by telling us how this world of coins has changed over the last decade? Absolutely. So one thing that was interesting about the coin market that, uh, I think you, you had mentioned is a proliferation into cards, uh, auction houses. Auction houses have been a mainstay in coins for the last 100 years. Uh, coins traded at auction even all the way back into the, the 1800s when you know, U.S. coin collecting really kind of got, uh, got started. Very early on, people realized that some coins were, were rare and uh, started paying money. And there were a lot of mail order auctions at the time. And as... The, the internet developed into the, the 90s, 2000s, and beyond. The proliferation in the coin market has been for weekly auctions, as well as kind of a, a more uh, quarterly type cadence on, on uh, higher value items, a, a, a signature type sale or, um, with much higher value items, typically ordered around a, a major coin show. There's there's typically one or so a month, but there's there's a couple of very major ones, and those are the ones that kind of garner auctions where people will actually go to these shows lot view for the mm -hmm. items that are there. They'll, they'll physically look at the coins in hand and uh, get to actually look through the entire auction. And then the, the coin auctions, in many cases, are still actually run live. They have a, a live auctioneer running them and, you know, they, they, they hammered the lots and, you know, going once, going twice, sold. Um, you know, that's, that's been the mentality for a very long time. So the are you, are you saying, are you saying uh, that, that you actually have, this is amazing to me, you're saying that there's like the majority of the people who are at these, who are, who are bidding in these auctions are still at, are at the auctions. It's not happening. You know, it's, it's most of it's happening in person. The majority, no, not okay. anymore. It okay. certainly used to be the majority, even as the internet kind of really started developing in auctions. Mm. It's It's been really more recently for coins particularly that things have shifted to a, a wholly online basis. And a lot of different auction firms have started offering weekly auctions or monthly auctions mm. that are done completely online without a, a live auctioneer and the lots just all close at, at a time or may, maybe staggered. Um, but yeah, that, that shift from the, the in-person auction with, with your, your auctioneer going once, going twice, gone, um, has, has been kind of in the last 10 to 15 years, you've wow. seen less and less of that. 
So now most of the big coins are selling via online auction house. How has that has that changed the community around around coins at all? Because I would imagine beforehand it was it must have been a real community since a lot of the people were getting together sort of in person. It was it, it definitely was. I remember um, I had the privilege of of working at a firm when we sold at the time the world rec- record breaking Cardinal seventeen ninety four dollar that was the first coin to ever eclipse ten million dollars. I remember it was a live auction. And the winning bidder was in the room and the entire room after the lot closed erupted in applause <laughs> and the auction paused for two to three minutes as like everybody was standing up cheering the first coin to ever sell for $10 million was unbelievable. You know, huge. So, what- so there definitely was an electric atmosphere in the room and that, that has shifted. I think now it's, it's very much kind of a, a more forumy. Kind of thing where people will post, "Hey, look, look what I got in the auction." Okay, so when I hear ten million dollars, part of my job for PWCC is I get to like come into town and handle some of these cards that are worth hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. I get to handle the the Luka Doncic uh, limited, uh, sorry, the the Logo Man RPA not that long ago, and it sold for like three point five million. And to me, that's like the most expensive thing I've ever held in my hand. Did you get to hold that that ten million dollar coin yeah. in your hand? What is I actually went through the entire collection that it was a part of, which it was the only item over a million dollars in that collection. However, there were probably a dozen or two dozen pieces in that, that Cardinal collection that were hundred thousand to $250,000 plus. Wow. In addition to that. So did they come into you like ungraded or were they already graded? No. They, they, they came in, they were originally holdered. They were sent in for, for a reconsideration. Um, you put okay. into new holders attributed to the actual pedigree of the collection. That's a big thing in coins. One thing that I haven't noticed so much in cards, a lot of the card guys um, talk about what they own, but with coins, um, the pedigree, who has owned this specific coin in the past so cool. yeah. is, is actually adds value. You could have two of the exact same piece, but if Lewis Eisberg owned one of the pieces, it's worth 15% more because it's got his name attached to it. Yeah, you know, this is this is a thing that I've long really believed would change in the world of cards. And I think it I think you're right that it doesn't really exist as much as we as much as we would believe that it would, but there's something about the 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 people who have curated collections and how that was an important part of their collection and then knowing that then they then moved on from it and you were able to acquire it. That is that's something that I think is really underrated in the world of cards. Um, but we're not here to talk about cards. We're here to talk about coins. I think that's I think that's super interesting. Is there like a is there like a ledger or a way that this is tracked officially, or is it just more so like it sort of is traded? You know, the, the, as the card moves or as the coin, excuse me, moves on, that like it happens by word of mouth. It's it's kind of a word of mouth thing. Many of the most important and significant historic collections are actually pedigreed on those holders from PCGS from NGC. Interesting. Um, I mean, I own I own a, a coin myself uh, that was from the the King Farouk collection from mm-hmm. Egypt, um, who previously also owned now the current most expensive coin in the world that sold for nineteen million a year and a half ago, um, and it's it's listed on the holder Farouk, and the way that I was able to to look at that was 
tracing auction catalog appearances of this issue. You know, there were only so many of them struck and this has the same distinguishing mark as this auction catalog mentioned when it first sold in the thirties. Hmm. Understanding so. um, that is so cool. I I'm, I'm like super intrigued by this pedigree idea and, and interested to see how it works in other cards interest or in other, sorry, in other collectibles, excuse me, I keep saying cards. Um, but also interested to see how the blockchain influences that as time goes by. Yeah. Like, a lot of these things should be pretty easily trackable with really pretty basic technology, For sure. but that technology is not being used. And so um, it'll be interesting to see. Okay. So a lot of people out there are watching this video because they have collections of coins. Most of them realize I don't have a coin that's worth $10 million. Most of them realize that they don't have a pedigree, right? That is that it's noteworthy, but they have something that was like given to them from their grandparent or, or, you know, something, and they just had it in their box of mementos. Like what, what do you, what would you tell people like that without even knowing anything about their collection? How would you like sort of paint a general picture of like what they ought to do or how they should, you know, how they should move forward with their coin collection if they do have some intention on selling it. The first thing that I would do, I would suggest getting a copy of the Red Book, the Guidebook of the United States Coins. It doesn't matter if you have the 2023 edition. I think the 2024 has actually just come out recently too. They typically run several months in advance. It's it's a encyclopedia. It, it tells you basics about coin grading, about grading for each specific U.S. coin series. It shows you examples of some of the, the valuable varieties. It gives you mintage information. It does have a price guide in it. The price guide in it is much more of, of a retail expectation of what you would expect to pay if you went out trying to look for that piece in that grade. But it can definitely give you an idea of hey, I'm looking at these and in you know the, the grade of eight, which I think we'll touch on grading a little bit later, but in, in the grade of eight, um, you know, most of these are worth $3 and this one's worth 300. Mm. Maybe this is something that's much better now. Mm. Or I have one of those. Is it worth 300? What kind of grade is mine? Uh, but the Red Book can give you a really great starting point. Mm. From there, Local coin shops are truly a, a wealth of information. A lot of them, particularly with, with younger collectors, are thrilled to have youth in there. We'll work with you. I worked with several um, when I was a young collector. I would go into the shop and they would spend time teaching me things. They would show me pieces that they had. They would say, here's, here's what makes this real or here's what makes this one not a real example. We keep, you know, educational counterfeits in the back uh, so that you can actually learn as, as a young person. Now with the internet, a lot of this information is available online. There's mm. fantastic resources with all of these details, with examples of ultra high resolution pictures of, of real and fake coins side by side, of coins with grades, with images of, of all of the different grades to figure that out. But you can start with the Red Book to figure out where to go. Then if you figure out you got something that's worthwhile, you know, reaching out to, you know, a, an auctioneer um, or, or a, a dealer with a, with a solid reputation. I mean, Yelp and Google are, are good reviews on, on these companies. If, if they've got bad feedback, find a different one. Yeah. Um, really, really good advice. Um, I'll tell you, I actually took my old coin collection into a local shop here um, about 
three months ago. I took one of my I took one of my daughters with me, and I was like, "Let's go check out this coin shop." She was somewhat interested, and I was mm-hmm. really impressed with the um, the want to be able to engage with us. You know, it's clear that they are trying to they they want to see the the, the hobby grow. And in the same way for card collectors, the L, the local card store is sort of the front line of the hobby. I think that's probably just as true here in the world of coins. Um, you know, when it comes to people who who have these big collections, let's say they take the coins into the coin shop, they find out some things about about the coins, they learn in the red book, you know, what they want to do with it, and then they find that they have a coin. Let's give like three different examples. Let's say they they find a coin that's a fifty dollar coin. They find a coin that is a you know after they you know, it's let's say it's raw, it hasn't been graded, and it's fifty dollars. And then let's say that there's another one that's five hundred dollars. And then let's say there's another one that's five thousand dollars. What would you recommend on each of those three valuations? How should they go about sort of like moving the coins? So the fifty dollar coin, you're you're in a little bit of a no man's land there. Mm. Um, a local coin shop may only be able to pay you twenty five dollars for something like that. They have to be able to make their markup and, you know, on a smaller item, that markup has to be a higher percentage because it may take them so long to, to be sure. able to sell it. it. takes real estate in a display case. Right. Uh, it's not, it's not really worth grading a $50 coin just based on the, the expenses of, of sending it to a, a company like NGC or PCGS who are the major coin graders. But Authentication is certainly an option. It's less expensive than grading. At $50, it's it's still kind of a toss-up as to maybe whether or not that's that's worth it. I would probably say towards that $75 or $100 level, that definitely makes sense. But a local coin shop should be able to pay you a fair price on, on a $50 coin 100 times out of 100. Cool. What about the $500 one? The $500 coin is where you start getting into possibly making sense to have the coin actually numerically graded. Mm. Um, it depends if it's $500 because it's maybe a common gold coin, mm. uh, generic, as we say in the, in the industry, a, a date that's, that's considered common in that grade. So there's no numismatic premium on that date specifically. A, a coin like that, again, a, a local shop's going to do a great job for you, but that's something that authentication certainly makes sense for. You move into that $5,000 coin, you should have that piece graded. At $5,000, you're not talking about something that is just the, the precious metal content. You're talking about something that has true numismatic collector value, that uh, the grade, the, the condition, the preservation can have a serious impact on the yes. value. You know, you may see it as $5,000. You know, a, a local shop may say, hey, yeah, this coin looks like it's a a VF 20 on the grading scale. Well, okay. You're, you're looking at your online resources at your red book and a VF 20 looks like it might be worth between 5,000 and $10,000. Well, if you, if you get it graded and you actually get a numeric grade and it comes back as a 20 that helps narrow your range down of what it's, what it's really worth. And it makes it more liquid. A expensive coin like that is not liquid at all without being at the bare minimum authenticated and mm-hmm. truly at that level, they really kind of have to be graded. You know, the thing that occurs to me as you talk about this, VF stands for very, very fine. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. So the, the distinction between grades, I'm guessing, has just a giant influence on value. Is that a fair assumption? 
It, it is. There are many grades of many coins that are all worth about the same thing. But there's typically on, on most of these coins, there's, there's a grade where the coin starts to spread in value. You know, it might be $100 mm-hmm. in, a, in a 20, in a 30, it might be $110, in a 40, it might be 125. And then in a 45, it's worth 500. Yes. Because that's, that's where the majority of them are graded below that level. So when, when you then have that higher graded piece, you now have what, what we would call a condition rarity, mm-hmm. something that is rare because of the level of preservation on it. Are there population reports for, for, for yes. these coins? Yeah. And ECGS and NGC, the, the two major grading companies, as well as, as Annex, the, the third kind of grading company, do offer, offer population reports on both the date, the series, if there's a special label or a special edition or a signature on the label, all, all of that material is available for free online. My guess is that it's it's the same as any collectible where rarity really matters, where you have a coin that has either a mint mark that's unusual or a version that's unusual, and those are the ones that that really stand out as being highly valuable because they're so exceptionally difficult to find. Is that right? That's definitely true. The The other interesting thing with coins is that sometimes coins can be too rare. If they're, if they're too rare and let's say there's a hundred people that, that collect this series of coin and there's only one of them available, well, the people kind of know that they're never going to necessarily be able to have that piece. Mm. But if there are three of them or five of them, then it's kind of a, a heated competition to be able to acquire those pieces. Or, you know, you scale that up to, to be a more reasonable approach. You know, with, with Silver American Eagles, the one of the most commonly collected series of, of U.S. bullion coins now, the 1995 W coin with a mintage of just over 10,000 pieces, that's a super in-demand coin because there are way more than 10,000 collectors. And at a, a price point in a, in a grade of 69, um, it's affordable. It's, it's sub $5,000. Mm. So it's, it is within the reach of an average collector, even if they have to save up for a while to be able to acquire something like that. So people want it, but there's more people that want it than can get it, but it's attainable to them at the same time. It's not a million dollar coin where people are never going to be able to afford it, but at, you know, a couple thousand dollars, people say, I really want one to cap off my collection. It's super interesting, man. I lo- I love this. The the um the fact that you have this sort of sweet spot on a lot of these coins, and the fact that some coins are just highly collectible how they are, so that it changes that sweet spot. That example you just gave of ten thousand plus being ultra rare. It's again, it's exact same thing as any collectible. There's like bands of people that collect certain types of things, and if you can hit that just right and be significant and important and appeal to all the right boxes or right people. You know, we use the phrase, check, check all the boxes. You can have something that, that really can, can be worth a ton of money. But, you know, it seems to me that, that one thing that, that maybe is lacking, please correct me if I'm wrong on this. It seems like one thing that might be lacking from this world is really like explosive value changes. You know, when it comes to a lot of different kinds of collectibles, especially modern collectibles, with um, you know athletes or characters or things like that, a change in their history, a change in what what they're doing 
can cause explosive growth. Do we see that in the world of coins? Is there ever a time where a coin or any kind of numismatics really just like takes off in, in value? It's simply put, no. Okay. Um, there, there has certainly been appreciation like that within the coin market. Like, I don't know, I'll, I'll use like a example of, um, you know, I'll use Michael Jordan, easy, easy player for everybody to know. Michael Jordan gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. His stuff goes up in value. There isn't something like that with coins. Mm. You know, vice versa, if Michael Jordan is suddenly convicted for a crime, now your value tanks. Yep. There isn't something like that with coins. Coins have been a much more stable growth over the last hundred plus years. And they've certainly appreciated a ton over that time. And there are market corrections where you'll see, you know, the market drop 20%. But that 20% isn't overnight. It's 20% over months. And then the, the rebound on it isn't overnight. It's over many months mm. in many cases. Um, sometimes the, the market simply becomes oversaturated on something. Um, an awesome example of this is... Um, a 1909 VDB proof Lincoln cent, super rare coin in proof. There was a collector that was effectively hoarding them. He sure. was buying every single one that popped up into a public auction. He was trying to corner the market, which was actually doable based on, you know, there's a couple, you know, dozen on the market at any given time at the most. So he just bought all of them. He had, he had enough capitalization to do that. Well, then he went to go sell his collection. Guess what? There aren't that many people who are looking for one at any given time. There might be a dozen on the market and a dozen people looking, which means the whole market is satiated. Well, now you suddenly have 50 of them come onto the market and there's only a dozen people looking. Well, people are going to buy them up at a discount saying, well, I guess I'd buy this, but I'm not going to pay your ask price for it. And so suddenly the value of that goes from thousands of dollars to half of that. And it'll take time until that demand is is exceeding the supply in the market again. You know what would be interesting to see is if there were if there were more of these hoarder type collectors out there. You know, what if you just took the number of hoarders that are out there right now and you multiplied it by 20? Um, in my experience, funds or, you know, or hoarders, you know, entities with lots of capital that that really seek to to own the market, they dramatically influence valuation. And so It'd be interesting to see if that happened in the world of coins. When I look at coins from the outside and, and all of numismatics, it's super appealing um, as a store value. Um, I'll give you an example, the $1,000 bill. I remember when I was a kid knowing that a $1,000 bill existed. And I think I even got to see a few of them. I worked at a card shop for a lot of years. And I think I got to see a few along the way. And it was just sort of like this rare experience. Um, you know, but that the fact that those don't trade hands anymore, that they're worth more than $1,000, it's just mm -hmm. a really cool store value that I can see. I could imagine a group coming in and saying, we're going to own this. This is going to take off in value over the course of the next decade. We're going to get as many of them as we can. And if they come in with real capital, I, I just think that seems like something that could really work. Um, any it's, thoughts on that? It's certainly, it's certainly possible. The biggest difficulty with coins are even rare coins. It's not quite the same as... I'll use a, an, an example of magic cards. I collected and played magic for years. 
you know, you look at, at a Black Lotus, you know, the, the iconic magic card. Realistically, if you had enough money, you could buy all of them. All of them. It is, it is feasible. There are few enough that you could buy all of them. Mm. If you wanted to go, you use the instance of a $1,000 Federal Reserve note. If you wanted to go buy these, you need hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. Yeah. That's not to say that you can't make an impact in the market by doing so. Maybe you're only buying them in circulated grades, or maybe you're only buying them in uncirculated grades. Mm. You can certainly make an impact. However, it, the the market capitalization on coins is so it's enormous huge. Mm. because they, I mean, it says a thousand dollars on it. It's always worth at least at least a thousand dollars. Yep. Um, how many thousand dollar bills are there out there? Super high level. I know you don't really know, but yeah, like, I mean, yeah. there there are tens of thousands of them still circulating. At are there really? not not circulating, meaning used in commerce? Sure. but there are tens of thousands available in in, in public hands. Maybe, maybe more than that. You know, the funny thing is, on on thousand dollar bills, I remember when I started collecting, you could buy a thousand dollar bill low grade for twelve hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, now. We're talking 1900 for about the absolute worst condition, probably torn in half and taped back together kind of note. And it only goes up from there. So, I mean, like you said, again, that's over time. There's, there's just, there's more demand than, than there are supply of those. Yeah. I just, I think that's such a cool store of value. I do. Like I want to have a thousand dollar bill and put it in my office. You know, I want to <laughs> put it up and be like, Hey, check that out. That's worth a thousand bucks in currency, but it's so rare. It's just such a cool collectible. You know, when you think about like, you think about like gold coins and stuff, there's so many cool things in the world of coins. And I think, I think people need to, you know, sort of keep their eyes open. So on that note, you know, let's say somebody's watching this episode. There's somebody who's, you know, watched, watched the show before because of the other kinds of um, collectibles that we talk about often. Let's say somebody's watching the show and they're like, I want to get into coins. Like, what would you tell somebody who's starting? Like, how, how should they go about it? What a loaded question that is. <laughs> um, you know, the the $1,000 bill, there you go. There's a, that's an awesome, it's an awesome conversation piece. I actually have a friend of mine who literally carries like the lowest condition $1,000 bill I've ever seen in his wallet. <laughs> and anytime somebody, you know, asks him questions, he just pulls out a $1,000 bill and hands it to him. Um, so there's, there's pieces like that that are their conversation starter type pieces, mm -hmm. a 20 cent piece. I'm sure most of the listeners on here have probably never heard of a 20 cent piece or I a two cent yeah. piece or a three cent piece or a half cent. Uh, there's, there's awesome conversation pieces and it's not just limited to, to us coins and currency either. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting pieces from all over the world. One of the coolest pieces that, that I own is, is actually not one of the most expensive, but there were only three minted. Mm -hmm. It was a, you know, a test piece from the fifties from the mint. And, you know, I own one of the three examples that they struck, you know, it's like a $500 coin, not super expensive, but super cool, you know, interesting conversation piece. But the, the, the biggest thing for a new collector in coins is to kind of figure out what do you like? What do you, maybe like? more importantly, yeah. what do you not like? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like just collecting things by date. So maybe you try collecting by type. You know, type collecting is, is an interesting um, caveat to the coin market where people try and collect one of each design, but the date does not matter. Hmm. So myself, um, I started out as a date collector. I put sets together. 
Then I turned into a type collector. Now I try and find the nicest example of each type of coin that I can, but I don't care about the date. And realistically, I'm not caring about the grade either. I'm looking at the actual piece and saying, is this eye appealing and attractive? You know, that's the type of piece that I want in my collection. Sometimes I go years between buying coins. Um, other collectors, you know, who are collecting dates simply say, I just want to put together one of everything. There's a, there's a super interesting niche of coins uh, called lowball collecting that you try and get the lowest graded example of every piece and put date sets together. So you see these, you know, silver dollars graded poor one, which is a one out of 70 on the coin grading scale, the absolute lowest that you can get before something is simply just deemed authentic. Um, and people collect these and some of these, these coins in poor one are worth more than coins in eight or 10 or 12 because there's a demand to put together this circulated in commerce. This was spent. This money got used. It tells a story. I love it. I love it. That, that is like, that is the essence of collecting to me. Um, I think, you know, you just highlighted a lot of things that I, that I, that I'd follow up on. I like the idea of collecting by year. I like the idea of collecting by like type and, um, and I, and I can see the appeal to that. I think the, the other thing that you mentioned, the guy who's, who's holding the thousand dollar bill in his wallet, this is super interesting to me because it wouldn't have to just be a thousand dollar bill. It could be, you mentioned a half, a half cent or a three cent mm -hmm. piece or something like that to have something so unique on you at all times that in the case of a half cent or a three cent piece or something like that, you can get for, for almost nothing. Like they're not mm -hmm. expensive at all. Yeah, 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Yeah. That, that I think is where, if I had to guess, this, this is just me just sort of spitballing here, but if I had to guess where coin collecting will go as time, as time goes by and where it's probably gone for a lot of people has been a lot of people acquired something that was relatively cheap, found that it was one of the coolest things they ever had, got more into all of the details of it, and then moved on from maybe a, maybe a, a, a two cent piece to wanting to get a half cent piece to wanting to get a nicer half cent piece to want to getting the first half cent piece, like just sort of moving up through that and constantly discovering elements in collecting that, that are really interesting to them in the world of coins and numismatics. I think that's where probably a lot of people have come. And I think, I think, you know, as we want to see this world grow, you know, as people who are in the hobby want to see more people come to the hobby. I think honestly, Jeff, that's exactly right. That's where people ought to start. Start at something that's really simple and learn like research. Is there, is there, you mentioned the red book. Is there like, are there other like um, areas where you would say, Hey, go check this out. This is a great way to get educated on, on, some element in the, in the world of numismatics. So the, the red book is probably the most accessible thing. Okay. There's, there's a great resource from PCGS, PCGS coin facts that has in many cases encyclopedia entries from the top researchers and authors um, on every single date and mint mark of every single denomination of us coins. Um, the problem with something like that is it can be overwhelming. Mm. Um, there, are, I mean, there are a ton of different books from a ton of different people talking about um, different ways to collect, talking about type collecting. There's, there's red book versions for effectively each individual series of U.S. coin, where if you decide that you're interested in two set pieces, 
you can go buy the two cent book mm. and just read. And so cool. just about that, it tells you the history, the values. It gets much more in detail about uh, varieties. You know, it's it, it's the next step in. There's also a, a couple of, of awesome pieces. I, don't, I think I've got one here. This is um, the 100 greatest U.S. coins. Mm. Um, so in here are a bunch of things you can't afford, but they might give you some insight on onto you know different pieces that that you may be interested in and you know each one of these pieces you know shows you you know an image of the coin description of you know why it's important and significant and valuable and and insights about collecting um, and there's a bunch of different versions of this you know 100 greatest book for for different areas of of collecting um, different categories um, there's like a hundred greatest modern coins, etc. Those are something that you can typically afford when you start collecting. So that's a cool place to start too. Hey, your knowledge here, Jeff, we're, we're about out of time. I, I could talk to you about this stuff seriously all day. And I'm so grateful for your time. I actually want to spring before we go. I want to do a couple things, but I want to spring on you a question that I didn't warn you about at all. Um, so I hope that's okay. Um, as you bring up that, that book and as you're talking about like great coins, the thing that I, I, that, like my mind goes to is in, in the world of a lot of other collectibles, we have things that we say that's iconic or that's super significant. And we have like lists and things like that. Mm -hmm. The question that I want to ask you is a little bit different. I want to, I want to ask you, like, I know you've had, you've got tons of people who come to you who, who say, Hey, I'm looking for this, or I'm looking for that. It doesn't have to be like based on a specific year or anything like that, but I wonder if you could sort of, if you could tell us maybe like the top five coins that you're asked about, like, or I know you're rolling your eyes like, ah, oh, that's going to be a hard thing to figure yeah. I get it. Yeah. But like five things that through the years, people are always like, this is a thing that I'm looking for and I'm interested in finding it or things that people talk about when they're together at a show, you know, coins that are just ultra, like people really are looking for, maybe extend it to all of numismatics, not just the world of coins. What are the five things that people are always sort of interested in? The, the very first thing is going to be auction records. You know, if, if an auction came out and uh, a piece, whether a coin or currency, U.S. or foreign, broke a record, and typically speaking, not just broke the record, obliterated the record, um, that gets talked about, especially mm -hmm. within the coin dealer community. Um, new discoveries on uh, an error or variety, they, they're few and far between now, but they happen. And new discoveries of hugely significant coins. Actually, um, a friend of mine who's, who's another dealer, probably two years ago now, um, was able to purchase a brand new discovery piece from overseas of a 1792 half dean uh, that, you know, there's, there's only several dozen known. And they found an example in a foreign exchange bin overseas and it was a huge headline because not only was the coin fresh to the market and hadn't been sold in 200 years, wow. but su suddenly now like that whole series exploded because everybody's like, dang, that's super cool. And people start looking at their foreign exchange and everything like that. Um, you know, the other, the other thing that's, that's very commonly mentioned is um, generic gold. Um, 
I, I had mentioned kind of earlier what, what a generic was, something where the date isn't necessarily uh, the primary source of value. Generic gold coin is typically valued for its gold content and for its grade, but the date itself doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, generic gold is a huge segment of the market. It's it's multi-billion dollar a year. And so there's always talk about kind of what premiums are doing. Are people buying right now? Are premiums going up because there's a lot of demand? Are, is there not a lot of demand right now because maybe the stock market's doing better than coins um, you know, have been performing? So uh, you know, gold, gold is sinking, so premiums are, are dropping and people are getting out of their physical coins because they're, they're, they're a significant store of value like you were mentioning earlier. So those are, those are kind of the, the big things. I know that's not five, but those are, those are the big kind of easy to swallow pills out of this. Yeah. Um, you know, typically there's, there's an auction highlight, even if, if it wasn't necessarily a record, something that just doesn't show up very often. It's, it's a coin that's, that's rare strictly from a mintage, you know, maybe there was a mintage of, of 20 or 50 pieces. So it's, it's truly a rare coin, not just conditionally rare, um, those typically make news and headlines as well. Um, I'm going to throw one, one other sort of personal like <laughs> question out there, but like, I remember when I was a kid going into these coin shops and there was like this, there was this story about the, the steel penny that was like so rare. Like, can you tell me what that, what, what that is, what that story is real quick? Well, I mean, I answer it every day in emails, but yeah. um, so in 1943, the government needed copper for bullets in the middle of World War II. So they experimented um, in the years leading up with different compositions for um, the scent piece. Um, ultimately, it was decided to switch to a zinc-coated steel variety. Many of the ones that you find now, they're all dated 1943. Many of them are rusted. So right. many of them may look coppery in appearance. Um, steel scents actually stick to a magnet. Um, so mm. the, the, the super rare versions that you're alluding to here right. are 1942 steel scents, of which I think there's one or two known. They're effectively pattern pieces that were test runs. There are some 1944 steel scents. Um, those are, are very rare, very valuable. They have to stick to a magnet or they're fake, mm. 100%. Um, many of them are skillfully altered 1943s that somebody really replaced that last digit with a four. Um, it's something that's been done for hundreds of years because the ah. date can make a huge difference on coins. But the other thing that's, that's you know, valuable out of that is 1943 copper sense because they weren't supposed to have been made. There's, I think, about a dozen or a dozen and a half of those known between the three different mints. One of them is unique. I believe the San Francisco piece is unique, meaning that there's only one of those known. There's, I think, two Denvers and a, and a handful of Philadelphia issues. Those coins trade anywhere between 20,000 on up. Those shouldn't stick to a magnet. If you have a 1943 copper scent that you think might be real, if it sticks to a magnet, it's not real. It's plated. Um, many of the other ones are cast counterfeits. Um, many of the other ones are altered 1948s, where they scraped out the, the, the filling of the eight to make it look like a three. Um, the first thing to do with something like that would be to take it to a local shop and get an opinion. If the local shop tells you it's no good, it's not good. They're not 
about to turn somebody away that they think has a coin that's super rare like that. It's a huge discovery every time one gets found. And who knows how many of them there are, but there's probably another half dozen that are sitting somewhere out there. So you could have one, but if your shop tells you, no, this is, it's a counterfeit, don't think that they're just lying to you. Oh, they just want this for free. No, if it were real, they're going to try and pay you a lot of money to buy it because it's cool. They that, want to nerd out just as much as I do. <laughs> the storytelling possibilities that exist around those pennies just has me like all sorts of excited because there are, there are people, you know, there are people who have had a bucket of coins sitting in their house yes. for years, for years. I mean, people, not everybody like, not everybody just spends their money and like gets rid of their coins, right? Some people just leave their coins sitting in their house forever. I had a an uncle who at one point brought me, he's like, hey, Adam, you still selling, still selling things online? And I was like, sure. And he's like, here, put out your hand. And I was like, what are you doing? And he hands me a, a handful of 1964 quarters. And I was like, <laughs> what is this? And he's like, those are silver. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. And so anyway, I went and I sold them. I think I got like four bucks each or something or three bucks each or something, you know, a couple of years ago. But anyway, like he, he was like, I just had these coins sitting in my house for the last, you know, couple of decades. I just, I just don't, don't ever do anything with them. And that's the way that a lot of people are. And, and the world of coins, I think has, it, it's unique to the world of coins that that exists. And every time we hear about a new discovery, it is huge news. And so, you know, I think, Jeff, I think, you know, we've talked about a lot today. I have so many other things I want to talk to you about, but the main thing that I really want to do now is I just want to say thank you. Like you taking this time to come like walk us through all this, all these things in the world of coins and answer these questions. I know there's a lot of people who are going to be super intrigued. Um, if you, if people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me would be by email. Jeff.Lubinsky at pwccmarketplace.com. Awesome. Um, anything else that you want to shout out or talk about before we go? I really appreciate being on here. I know, uh, you did a, an awesome series with that, with that iconic hundred that you've got, you know, on the bookshelf behind you, you know, trying to put together something like that for coins. You know, I'd mentioned earlier, one of those hundred greatest book, you know, and I'd also mentioned it's a hundred pieces that you can't afford, um, <laughs> you know, it, the, the goal of what I'm kind of trying to put together is, is that list that's actually accessible to people. Mm. So you know, in progress with that, but we have some, some fun stuff that, that we're working on to try and, and really make the hobby accessible to people. You know, we're going to be starting a, a, an educational podcast myself and, and one of my colleagues kind of teaching people about coins. So um, there's a lot to learn and there's, there's still stuff that I learn every single day. I love it, dude. I love it. Well, I'm really looking forward to your podcast. Um, I believe we'll be on the PWCC network. So um, everybody, everybody definitely stay tuned for that. And uh, Jeff, again, thank you for the time, for the time. I learned a ton. I know we all did. Um, and until next time, happy collecting.